You're listening to Mr. Winter. Hello, I'm Mr. Winter. Thank you for tuning in to People Do Fun Jobs. You're most welcome, of course. So this episode is a little bit different. I've released two so far previously. You can uh, listen and download those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can also watch them on YouTube if you want the sort of visual version, because I, I like to make uh, I like to make things for you to watch and listen. So that's how you can obtain the, the podcast so far. This one's a little bit different. So I'm going to go into detail about this and why I'm making this episode but I basically went away recently on a on a trip that was shortened quite drastically to what it was supposed to be for obvious reasons we're going to get into it but before I went away I recorded four episodes with five different podcast guests who do really fun jobs they're super talented and there is I think going to make for interesting viewing and listening so I'm going to release those very soon that's that's coming up with people do fun jobs this one's a little kind of interrupting the normal flow of things and i just kind of want to document what's happening for me during this this time because i've got a lot of bloody time on my hands at the moment so firstly the title of the episode is how corona cock blocked me and i'm okay with that so firstly let's explain cock block because i don't know if this is just a strictly a, a, an english an English thing and if it if it whether or not it translates beyond uh, the British shores so I actually looked up the official description so I could give you a, a fair and detailed explanation what does cock block mean thank you dictionary.com for this by the way cock blocking is the action yes except cookies Jesus cock blocking is the action of preventing someone usually a man from having sex by intentionally or unintentionally stopping someone else's cock from reaching its intended destination. This behaviour could be driven by jealousy, competition, genuine concern for one uh, for one of the people involved, or simple obliviousness, or by accident. So the person who does the blocking may be called a cock block or a cock blocker. So you can be cock blocked or you can be cock blocking someone. So just to explain, that's where it comes from. I'm putting a little twist on that and getting Corona as the cock blocker. So hopefully that explains the the title a little bit. And I'm going to go into why it's completely fine that this pandemic's got in the way. Now, it's not got in the way of any kind of sexual conquest for me. Let's make that perfectly clear. This is a lot more PG. Now I've said the C word about 300 times. This is about cock blocking my, said it again, cock blocking my travel plans. So for quite a while, I was planning on this on this big kind of world trip. I, I turned quite an old age and uh, well, the oldest age I've turned yet. I believe that's how it works. A big, big round number anyway. And I wanted to celebrate that by being away and going on a very long journey away from home uh, and actually the furthest I can get away pretty much from Great Britain and that was Australia so I had plans to to go and I had the work holiday visa thing so I had a year away there in the can and I had every intention on turning that into two years the way you do that in Australia if you don't know as a as, as a British citizen I think this applies to people from America and Canada and, and that kind of thing as well other parts of Europe 
but you can basically do a lot of farm work and agricultural work and contribute to that industry for Australia and they grant you longer a longer time to live there so anyway I had year one planned and then year two I wanted to do you can also extend to year three and if you specialize in something or you're qualified in something that they're that the government there thinks will be useful to them you can look at sponsorship and and looking at more permanent citizenship over there who knows if that was what was going to happen for me but certainly one year or two years was what I was planning on doing, traveling the country, working in different towns and cities, meeting as many people as possible and soaking in as much of that culture as I could. That was the plan. The plan was to do that straight after a a two week break in Bali, because Bali in Indonesia is very close to Australia. And that was the plan to do two weeks kind of holiday there. And I got to Bali, I'm going to say it's the 9th of March. And I had the most amazing first week in Bali. I was turning a big number at the end of that week. So I wanted to make sure somewhere new and exciting and beautiful for it, which I was. And I made a amazing group of friends very quickly, went to a place called Changu, which is quite a party place to end up. If you've been, you know all about it. It's a really, really fun happening place for people to go. And it's not that far from the airport. So it's often kind of a first stop for people to to end up there or to start their journey there so I did that partied every day pool parties you know I stayed in an incredible hostel called clandestinos which uh, was recommended by my brother who was there they had a, a little family of puppies they had a pool incredible staff just so lovely and I made some really good friends very quickly in that week and they really helped me celebrate a big birthday so shout out to them that was week one by the end of that week I was like okay cool I think I've had enough of of this heavy partying for now let's go and see a bit of Bali my two weeks is running out I'm halfway through already and I haven't really done anything too cultural so I headed to the center of Bali Ubud which is very famous for its kind of meditation retreats, yoga retreats and and jungles and monkeys, monkey forests and, and just general well-being and kind of calmer vibe. So that's where I headed and had a really lovely time. Again, made a new family of friends and, and, and climbed a mountain overnight and saw a sunrise in the morning. Not bragging, okay. Maybe I'm showing off a little bit because it's not something that I usually do or have done. You know, trekking in the in the pitch black with steep drops to the top of a volcano is not something I usually do. So Mount Batura is called, highly recommend it and saw the sunrise. We actually had the best sunrise they've had or rainy season which is I don't know exactly when it is but around March time is is that's still happening so they had one of the clearest skies so that was beautiful and there were monkeys living right at the top of that that mountain ready to nick your sandwiches and then during that week things started to change the dreaded corona situation started developing and evolving quite quickly and I was receiving a lot of sort of um voice notes and messages from friends and family back home about the situation happening back here in Europe and how quickly things were moving. Now, in Bali, and I think in Indonesia and also Thailand, from all the travellers that I met, I was right at the start of my journey, but I was 
obviously around people who are really deep into their travels and and whatever and people from all over the world and what i grasped from them was indonesia and thailand seemed like places that travelers were heading to to sort of take just kind of seek refuge travel refuge they were sort of the last places that were still open for business i think there was a kind of a lot of denial from the governments and airlines airports all that kind of thing were open for business just let them in let them in let them in i don't think they were screening many of their citizens or their their visiting visiting folk and i don't think they were reporting figures very truthfully either and so it seemed like it wasn't really happening there it felt like Corona is exploding around the world, but it's not touched us yet. So it felt very safe and it felt almost irrelevant. And I was ignoring my phone as much as possible. Anyway, we then near the end of week two of my trip, traveling now with a group of, of friends that we're kind of sticking together a little bit somewhat. And we get on a ferry to go spend a few days on an island just just outside of Bali called Nusa Penida, which is just, it's its on those lists of places to visit around the world that you must see before you die. You know, paradise, if you ever saw it. So we got a ferry to this place. Really excited. Bags packed with us, you know, we're flying across the sea. The ferry pulls in. We're walking in the shallow waters with our bags on our back and find a nearby restaurant to sit down, kind of gather our our, our thoughts and plans and like, okay, where are we going to stay? What are we going to do? Had a really good group with us at that point. And just ordering lunch. And on my phone, I received news. I can't remember if it was from a news source or from a person, but I, I received news that Australia are going to be closing their borders to all international people at 9pm on Friday. That was the 90, uh, the 20th of March. We're on Thursday, the 19th of March at this stage. Bear in mind, people are advising me to, to speed up my trip in Bali and just get a flight to Australia while I still can. Me being me, I'm like, no, I want to get the most out of my trip in Bali. You know, that's what it's all about. I read this news and went, fuck. Okay, we've got to get the wheels into motion now and I've got to get there. And it was very dramatic. You know, I had a three hour wait for the next ferry back from this island to the mainland of Bali. Then another hour and a half drive to the airport. All this time with the internet, that's just not working. Trying to book a flight, trying to get home to book a flight. I booked a flight, booked it a week too late. I've really fucked that one up. And anyway, it's a race against the clock to to get a flight out of Bali to Australia to be able to make it in time for this 9pm border closure. It was inevitable. Borders are closing everywhere. And at some point it's going to happen in Australia. And I'm going to, you know, I was only a week away in my head from from getting there anyway. So I make it to the airport. It's about 6pm at this stage. I've got a matter of two flights 
that I can try and get on. And under the advice and and suggestion of the staff at the airport, I book any flight to Australia and then they can put me on a waiting list for these final two flights. Not the final two flights to Australia, but the final two flights that will get me to Australia in time before those borders close. Because I think if I'm there at 9.15pm, I don't think Mr. Australia Prime Minister is going to let me in. I missed that first one. There's too many people on that waiting list. And then there's literally one flight left to Sydney. And I'm on the list and it's looking really good because there's about five of us doing that from various internationals desperately trying to get on any flight on this last flight. 20 people weren't coming to that flight that were booked on, which meant there was ample space available to get onto the plane. Two girls in front of me managed to get on that flight. Take it, they got on it just fine. I, however, get this close. My bag is on the conveyor belt. My passport has been checked. I'm checked in. My visa, my working holiday visa has been approved. And then something flags up and the guy's looking at my passport, speaking to his supervisor they're looking at my passport, they're looking at the computer screen, you know, that in itself is, is, is a bit of a red flag. You're like, fuck, okay, what's going on here? And they took a while and I sort of, you know, I'm starting to get a bit antsy. I've got like half an hour before this flight is supposed to take off. And I'm like, is everything okay here? And he's like, uh, we just got, there's a problem with your passport. And I'm like, have I committed a crime I'm not aware of here and this is happening and I'm finding out now that that was illegal. Um, you know, don't get caught. It's the, the trick, really. So I'm waiting, desperately waiting for anything to come out of their mouth, but they're being very secretive about it. He's on the phone calling someone. And then I start to notice all around every check-in here and every check-in behind about f- maybe 15 check-in staff all checking people to this flight to Sydney, the last one that will get me there in time. Everyone's looking around at each other. They're all on the phone and they're all in a state of confusion. I have got five minutes at this point to board the plane and nothing is happening. They're telling me They're not sure what's happening. Bear in mind, and this is what's interesting about the whole corona situation, is we're all in it together. No one knows what the fuck is going on and what's happening. And as things change and evolve, we're all learning it together. I'm at the airport and I know as much as the staff know. And the word is Australia has pulled the plug on any further passengers boarding this plane. Why? I couldn't couldn't tell you why. The two girls in front of me, one was French, one was German, I think. They were right ahead of me. They got on that flight. So there was a plane sat there with a lot of room, a lot of empty seats with my name on one of those seats. And we just don't go anywhere. Eventually, the staff stop desperately trying to call Australia or whoever was the the body in charge of approving passengers onto the flight they give up they they put the phones down and stop calling i'm like guys we've still got like you know five minutes here can we just please try 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 again if we can 
they're like, sir, there's no point. And I'm stood there with another girl who's who's in the same position as me going, what what's happening here? Are we not getting on the flight? And they're like, I'm sorry, it's not possible. So you can imagine how overwhelming and slightly stressful this all is. You know, your two year plan of a big life change was five minutes away from happening. So a little bit of a stressful day, that one. So stressful day. I put myself into a nearby hostel to the airport. Really couldn't be bothered with dealing with any further travel that day. And really nice place, trying to relax in the garden with some beers and just cool down. And uh, there were just two rats fighting around me the whole time. You know, I kept sort of having to like bang the leg on my chair just to make sure when they'd gone quiet, they weren't sniffing me out. So anyway, stressful day. And it kind of changed my way of thinking, though. I really tried to not let it depress me or, or anger me get me down in any way what I wanted to do was enjoy my time in Bali so actually then my trip extended to week three and week four I got two more weeks out of Bali and I have to see it as everything happens for a reason there were so many flights I booked you know planes that never took off I'm still trying to claim that money back there's there's days that I I should have gone to the airport and or I would have gone and I didn't you know and I was about to board the last flight out of Bali to Australia that would get me there in time it was all lined up and it was taken away from me but I'm not pissed off about it because I had an incredible two weeks after that without sounding too cheesy about it it was kind of life-changing I saw I got very involved in 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 the culture there and tried new things push myself out of comfort zones and relaxed and was just around good people i stumbled across a, an incredible place called the bali flow temple and it's in the jungle just outside of ubud in the center of bali and it's usually a yoga retreat. It's kind of got a bit of a commune vibe about it. You know, we got there late at night, exhausted, and we're like, okay, not sure about this. Let's see how it plays out tomorrow by day. And, you know, the back garden was a jungle. So if you go on my Instagram, you'll be able to see at some point a little video of the jungle there. And also a magical, magical night. The last night I had in Bali was just a very spiritual experience bonding with 10 or 15 incredible people and it it really was the perfect end to a strange stressful relaxing fun and beautiful trip is the best way to put it now the reason i'm i'm not annoyed about all this despite the fact that i did come home after just under 1 month instead of two to maybe three years and beyond. (laughs) Kind of crazy when you think about it like that. And also the fact that my flight, finally, that did take off with me on it back home was twice the price it should have been. Not going to mention any names here because I think they're all as guilty as each other for kind of cashing in in these 
in this time of crisis and and chaos. But I can't possibly start to feel victimized by the situation. That'd be incredibly selfish and unrealistic to what's actually happening. Everyone is affected by this. And that was that was the incredible journey that was that happened from my first party week in in Bali to how it evolved and how I, I saw the country, but how things started closing and people started leaving. Everyone I met started going home and that became the conversation as much as I was trying to deny it. And this last place we ended up, Bali Flow Temples, the most beautiful week, that felt like a safe haven, but almost a, almost a sense of false safety. You know, it, we weren't very aware of what's happening because we're not really checking the news deliberately and not really knowing what's going on. And I could have stayed out there longer. I really could have. I had enough funds to last a couple of months out there. It's very affordable to, to live out there. But do you know what I kept thinking of? I kept I kept thinking about the beach, the film and the book, the beach, how everyone finds paradise. And then that, after a while, becomes hostile and dangerous and aggressive and not paradise, the opposite of. And I kept thinking about that as the situation was evolving. And I kept thinking, well, do I want to go home to Europe where these the, the cases are rising and it seems there's lockdown everywhere. It's strict, you know, whereas here I can ride around on my on my scooter and go to a beach or go for a drive through the rainforest or whatever it is. God, I kept thinking about this reference. And actually, we met a local. I won't go into detail about who he is, but a very well connected local. And he obviously understands the culture incredibly well and th- and thoroughly and it's a it's a place that has a lot of poverty you know indonesia and it's a place that is built on on tourist trade and it's built on farming now if you get rid of tourists because that's what's happening everywhere in the world if it's not already happened everywhere is closing every tourist site is closing airports are closing you know this if you get rid of that industry what does that leave that leaves farming rice mostly in Bali anyway. And it means that these families and their big families that are living very much hand to mouth day by day, according to the work that they have. If you get rid of that, what happens to this lovely, friendly, welcoming local community? I think it has the potential to go sour and to become hostile and dangerous and intimidating, especially if you're not from a foreign land. I'm not, this is me telling my experience, but I think it probably translates to a lot of different countries if you're a foreigner in that country. I don't know how safe you are there or how safe you should feel there, you know? It's no longer a holiday and it's no longer a retreat or a place of discovery, I think it's a, this is, we need to be in survival mode now. This is what we're all doing. We're all, we're all abiding by rules. And, and they start, they were late to the party, Indonesia, and I think Thailand, they're very late to the party, but I think they're there now. I think they're there in policing and, you know, not allowing as much fluidity and and freedom for people and what they want to do. 
slowly but surely. I think I've made a good decision. I've come back to somewhere that is home and I've come back because of family and I've come back because of the systems that are in place as well. It's a privilege that we have access to benefits and still a healthcare system that's under incredible strain. But those are privileges that are important and furlough for Christ's sakes. People are being paid to not work. So the government are supporting their people here for now. And it's not something that was guaranteed me staying in a rainforest with beautiful people in, in maybe a full sense of security. I, I don't know. The whole the whole point of all of this is none of us know anything really, truly. You gotta just try and make the right choices. And that's listen to guidelines. Stay home, wash your fucking hands. <laughs> you know? So I think I've made the right decision. It feels right. My plan is certainly to head back to Australia once it's safe to do so and once the borders are lifted. But I have friends there. I have friends from England in Australia who are struggling with work. And I have friends who are citizens of Australia. They are Australians and they are struggling to get back into their jobs. So what kind of experience would that be, right? But this is the point. This is why I'm I'm calm about all of this is I... I'm not thinking in selfish terms. It's not my place to do that. This is far greater than any trip I wanted to go on. For friends who are out there, I'm encouraging them to stick it out as long as they can, of course. But I I can't sit here and, and weep and moan and, you know, feel negatively about it because there are, there's a big situation happening. There are people who are in actual unsavory situations. So we've got to look after ourselves and each other. And that's the point. And I'm going to stay focused and positive as much as possible. And I hope you are all doing that as well and managing to. One massive thing for me is exercise. Uh, I've been doing it every day as soon as I wake up. And maybe again later, I'm not bragging about this. I'm not someone who is naturally capable of sports or, or, or naturally drawn to doing it. My friends will tell you that. But it's so important. It's so important for your mind we're still allowed to go out once a day to do that hours exercise to so get out there England and you know just work out a little bit so that's how I'm getting through I'd love to know how you are and how you're dealing with all of this So in summary, that's how Corona cock blocked me, but I'm fine with it because it's far greater than me and things are going to improve and things are going to change. It's there's always positive and negative. We might have to go through a really fucking horrible roller coaster of a journey to get there, but we will get there for sure. So thank you for listening to the podcast or or watching it on YouTube. So I'll see you soon with the episodes that I have pre-recorded before COVID-19. I will be releasing those, but I will also be back with more conversations uh, with friends. I think it's time to actually bring people from outside into the conversation. I think I've said all I wanted to say uh, about my experience in the situation and, and my thoughts. So I'm going to bring in friends from around the world and see what their situation is, how they're doing and what's going on and just keeping a general positive outlook on all of this so a lot more content to come so thank you for watching thank you for listening mr winter signing out thanks for listening to mr winter 